gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes here reporting for duty on a Wednesday night for your Thursday delivery. Got some stuff to talk about regarding the PFL. They launched their first week of the 2022 regular season. And boy, I can't wait to talk about it. Just finished up catching up on all of the fights. So I'm buzzing, even though the fight card ended a couple hours ago. (laughs) I got to eat some crow. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the latest news. We also have Scott Coker, the president and CEO of Bellator. We'll chat with him. We got two Bellator cards coming up this weekend, and that's on the heels of last weekend's card, which was pretty epic as well, out in San Jose. They're in Hawaii this week, and then they follow that up with London and Paris. So when they're in the middle of a of a great uh, five weeks, five cards and five weeks run. So we'll chat about that with Big Daddy Cokes. It's MMA Junkie Radio on a Wednesday, April 20th. Because if you recall, we interviewed Roush Manfio, the 2021 lightweight champion for PFL. And... When we talked to him, and, and man, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. He's a character. But one of the things I brought up to him was, you're the champ. Why aren't you in the main event? And he was like, yeah, I feel you guys. You know, I noticed that too. Um, Boy, were we wrong. <laughs> Whoever set it up so that Clay Collard and Jeremy Stevens danced in the, in, in the final night, fi- final fight of the night, they nailed it. Wow. What an awesome main event between Clay Collard and Jeremy Stevens. Not to take anything away from Roush Manfield, who got the job done in round three against South African Don Madge. Congrats to him. Four points are in the bank for him. But, man, I'm telling you, that was an awesome fight from start to finish. It was an amazing first round. Both guys till the very end. I mean, Jeremy Stevens, I think, with five seconds left through one of those Back elbows, Yair Rodriguez style. Clay Collard was trying to get, you know, like Max Holloway trying to do one of them dances in the last 30 seconds. Allah Cassius Clay, you know, to, to to be exact, he was shuffling his feet. They they really just performed, entertained, and threw the fuck down. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree and disagree. I think whoever picked that nailed it. I agree with that part. I get the final say. I still think regardless, like, you know, a couple weekends ago, a lot of people called Hamzat Shemaev and Gilbert Burns to be a great fight. But just because of that, they can't put it as a main event, right? So I I do think that if if you have somebody that won a belt the year before, I think they do deserve to be the main event, regardless of how you feel fights are going to go. I think that's just kind of a traditional thing to do. But, uh, yeah, that fight was incredible. It was amazing. Clay Collard's got one hell of a beard. He took some shots. But you could tell he studied Jeremy Stevens really well. 
and he knew everything Jeremy Stevens was going to do. It was very impressive. Yeah, for sure. And you know, goes if you think about it, um, they had former champs all over this card. So Manfio won the 2021 uh, lightweight division, and Natan Schultz won two before that, with the exception of 2020, which that season didn't happen because of the pandemic. So he won 19 and 18. Antonio Carlos Jr. won 2021 at light heavyweight, and uh, Emiliano Sordi was he blitzed through the whole season in 2019. So literally five championships won by four fighters, if I'm not mistaken. So all of them kind of nudged aside for this great card. I see what you're saying. For the most, you know, it paid off, but it's quite possible that it it shouldn't or wouldn't have paid off. And what does that say about your promotions? confidence in your champions to headline an event you know that that could be a whole other conversation i understand what you're saying um but again just getting back to it i I really want to take my hat off to clay collard and jeremy stevens they hit each other with so many shots first of all they both have amazing chins they both have amazing cardio a lot of heart i couldn't believe 30 27 though i thought stevens nicked one of the rounds the, the stats were almost identical with the exception of Clay Collard just threw way more strikes. He just landed at a lower percentage. But um, leg kicks, everything. I mean, they put up some numbers. You know what it was like? It was like if you were to look at the box score after the NBA All-Star game and you see like five dudes with 30 points or something like that and 12 rebounds and who knows how many assists. But um, – that was a hard-fought win for Clay Collard, who gets his three points because he went to a decision. No bonus points, but still, he's on the scoreboard. Roush Manfio's as well. And then Shoeface doing what he did last year. He just went out there, and he's probably he was probably tucked in bed by the time the main event started. He, he got the job done in 29 seconds. Yeah. The, here's what I don't understand. Um... Before we interviewed Clay Collard, what last week? Mm-hmm. I think before that interview started, the first thing I told him was the PFL done screwed up again. Because if you remember last year, they gave him Anthony Pettis. And I have to imagine that these big free agents that they bring in, they want them to somewhat be successful, right? It's kind of like if they are successful, then yeah, it brings attention. But if they're not, then it also kind of proves that the guys on the PFL roster are just as good, right? So you, you sort of can't lose. But I had to imagine that bringing Anthony Pettis, the PFL wanted him to be successful. And I told Clay Collard, I go, they screwed up again. Because honestly, if you look at that division, Clay Collard's the last guy in the world I would have matched up Jeremy Stevens with. Okay? Uh, but they did it. And we both called that that fight would probably go down almost exactly the way it did. And I can't figure out for the life of me if the PFL is promoting the hell out of Clay Collard or if they just think this is a guy that we can use to put other people over and it just doesn't work out. But how many times does he have to prove it? I don't get it. Um, That was a hell of a performance, dude, from, from Clay Collard. And Jeremy Stevens gave him everything he had. Jeremy Stevens is scratching his head right now going, what did I sign up for? Yeah. 
how many knees did Jeremy Stevens eat? Because Clay Ooh. Collard had this move where when he was fighting as a, a southpaw, he would not only throw some some strikes, he would wind up almost like perpendicular to Stevens and then make him eat a few knees with a lot of torque and thrust. I mean, it was a nice weapon, man, for him. I, I know they clashed heads once, um, but, you know, luckily nobody was, was bloodied up. And, uh, you know, but for the most part, they hit each other with some solid shots right to the chin. And both guys just ate them. No problem whatsoever. Uh, Collard messing around, messing about, threw him, threw him down one time. Uh, another time he got him with a really, really nice takedown. The guys were making me laugh. O'Connell, Florian, and Couture, because they were like, what the hell, man? I thought we were going to throw hands. Why are you taking this fight to the ground? But it was, you know, it was great. Um it, it got me so fired up that now I can't wait for the next one. You know, that sometimes that's what these fight cards will do. They'll get you really, really fired up. And what have we been saying about Bellator? Hey, Bellator, you got yourself a nice light heavyweight division. You got yourself some awesome featherweights, two of the best in the world. You got some uh, eight nice bantamweights for that Grand Prix. You know, you're the women's MMA stable. Nice, cool, two solid champs, blah, blah, blah. But where is your lightweight division? There's some lightweights out there. You just got to find them, you know, because that's the division that it just seems to be the deepest. If you were to line up all the, the fighters for one, PFL, UFC, Bellator, um, you'd probably have the most 155ers where you could just go, okay, Man, we're up to like number eighty-five, and number eighty-five is a killer, or whatever. If you rank, if you just ranked them, and why they can't seem to stack the shelves there, I don't know. But look at PFL; they got some good ones. Um, Schulte, um, oh, I'll be, I'll be Mercier. You know, he's solid. It goes through decisions a lot, but whatever. Martinez is tough. Um, I, you know, we've yet, we've yet to even see Pettis compete but i i really like what they got going on in that division now one thing i'll say is where's your bantam weight division pfl you know let's get cracking on that one but i guess we can't have it all they don't even have a middleweight division either but what i saw tonight was awesome congrats to everyone that competed i want to give the results real quick goes hang on to that thought real quick and then you can uh you can chirp and and, and th say whatever you want so collar defeated stevens manfio defeated don madge Antonio Carlos Jr. submitted Delon Monte. Olivian uh, Abin Merced defeated Natan Schult. Corey Hendricks, shout out to him, man. He beat Emiliano Sordi. Alex Martinez beat Stevie Ray. Martin Hamlet beat Theodorus. Oxtolius. Uh, Akmari Akhmadov defeated Victor Pesta. Amazing big right hand there. Uh, Rob Wilkinson defeated Bruce Soto. And Simeon Powell defeated Clinton Williams. Go ahead, guys. I was just going to say, I, I think it's insane that after all this, those two guys have to, like, they have to do this again pretty soon. You know, if you look at their, their faces at the end of the fight, especially Jeremy Stevens, he took a beating to the body. That's probably not going to show up the way. I forgot uh, about his, that. Yeah. His knees and all that to his face, probably what it did to his face. But his body's just as tender. I could get in my car right now, get in a car wreck on the freeway, flip over a few times. And I bet you I'd still feel and look better than those two guys at the end yeah. of tonight. And and I would have the rest of my life to heal. They have to turn this around, dude. I don't 
I mean, I just don't. This sport sometimes, man, I mean, they have crazy athletes. But what an amazing fight, dude. And what was Stevens left with? I'm definitely not trying to criticize the PFL for this because they do right by their fighters. I hear good things about them. I'm just trying to show you some comparisons because a lot of you will often shit on the UFC for some reasons. I defend the UFC. Sometimes I, you know, want to see more from the UFC, you know, and, and I shit on them or whatever. But just to put things in perspective, Jeremy Stevens hopefully got paid well, but he didn't go home with win money. And they don't really have those $50,000 bonuses. That would have been a $50,000 bonus in, in the UFC. Um, but and, and like Go said, he's probably going to have to get going in about six weeks or so because they'll, they'll probably have another run of fights in June sometime. So, yeah, um, Jeremy Stevens is going to have to lick his wounds because he got zero points, no win bonus, and he has to turn it around and fight. And when he fights, the pressure might be on where he can't just win a decision. He might have to knock someone out. That said, dude, that dude threw some amazing uppercuts, some big right hands, some great leg kicks. <laughs> He's probably thinking, who the fuck's the other guy? You know, like, is he wearing Kevlar or what? what what's going on? Because he nailed them, you know? And I'm glad you brought up, I left it out. We were talking about their chins. He had Jeremy Stevens ate a lot of body shots too, man. Oh, dude, those were brutal, brutal. But that's why I feel like Clay Collard did his homework and, and really watched film because that's something that Jeremy's done a lot of his career is he'll put his hands up, he'll cover up really close to his head and leave his body open. And he gives you two to three shots. He's going to let you tee off on him. But when you're done, he is going to throw the most vicious right or left hand coming out of that break. And every single time, well, not every single time, but most of the time, Clay threw two to three shots and then got out of the way and just barely avoided some of those monster shots that, that Jeremy throws. But, um, you know, Jeremy got away a little bit from the leg kicks. I thought I thought he could have done that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But uh, honestly, it wasn't the worst Jeremy Stevens performance. Like, I thought he gave it his all. It's just Clay Collar was a monster. Yeah, I want to be exact here of what we're saying. And, yeah, they're supposed to come back with four, five, and six. And it'll be June 17th, June 24th, and July 1st. So if the guys that fought on show number one return and fight in show number four, then he's got about two months to heal and be ready. Um, next week is see is uh week two of the regular season. But those those um those weight classes that are gonna be disputed are complete different weight classes. Tonight we had light heavyweight and heavyweight. Next week, we have uh, heavyweight and featherweight. So I imagine in week three, they'll have women's lightweight and welterweight. The one thing they do have a flexibility of is that if Stevens were to just need a couple extra weeks and maybe they could push them to week number six or whatever, I've seen them kind of fudge around with that a little bit. But the playoffs start um, the first week of August, and then you got the championships uh, in November this year, right around the time of Thanksgiving. So anyway, it's a little bit different. They used to do it on December 31st. They moved the championships up to October last year. Now they're pushing them back to November. So they're kind of messing around with that a little bit. Uh, we're not going to get two fights in one night, it appears. And I think they stopped that because of COVID. They had talked about possibly bringing it back. Are we out of COVID? I would say so, kind of, but um, not 100%, you know, so 
I'd like to find out what their final decision was there. But still, as far as a night one is concerned, I don't see how you can't give this anything but an A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The big, uh, you know, in the Hauschmann-Feo fight, it was a little bit slower, but the comeback kind of made things worth it, I believe. So, yeah, I would I would agree with that score. Yeah, Manfio was cracking me up even in the post-fight um, interview that they said. He said, yeah, my coach was telling me it's close. You know, it could have gone either way. And he goes, man, I don't know what that means. It means I lost. You know, what kind of fighters have that kind of sense of humor and humility to kind of keep it real like that? He just, if if you don't, if you've never caught a Roush Manfio interview, um, at least try ours going to youtube.com forward slash MMA junkie video and in the search button, just put him in. And I can think of the two that we've done where he's just so funny. You know, he talks about getting a car and he's got this like vibe. Like of, like, Dangerfield. Yeah, exactly. And he like looks over his shoulder because his wife might be looking. Oh, she caught me. Now I got to write her something kind of kind of calm her down. But, you know, he. I don't know. That dude, I, I uh, really, really like him. So good for him on that comeback. He really, really needed it. And, you know, like I said, there was just some standout fights that I saw over at PFL. Day. Corey Hendricks, um, he was one of the two guys that gave us a tour of the old tough gym back when he was with the UFC. So that was pretty cool. You know, just you do something like that for our listeners. I'll always root for you. So I was keeping an eye on him. I knew he had his hands full because Sorty, like I said, the Argentinian, He's no joke. He's a former champ, but Hendricks got him. So, you know, and it was kind of awkward. Uh, we tried to tell people that this was going to start off on a on a Wednesday. Next week, for example, they go to Thursday. That's when they have those heavyweights with the um, featherweights. So you just kind of have to shuffle around a little bit. I would imagine the the problem with PFL is they're a little bit at the disposal of. ESPN, where can you fit us in? You know, but ESPN's also not just saying, "Hey, look, we're going to put you on ESPN U or on ESPN Plus." No disrespect to Plus, you guys know what I'm getting. They're trying to find opportunities to put them on either Big ESPN or Big ESPN Two. So I like that that uh, they came to a last minute decision to work together again. But at least ESPN's trying to put them in there. Brett Okamoto was there for crying out loud. You know what I mean? So that was pretty cool. That Ian Parker guy, I've seen him in the UFC broadcast. He was there with uh, with the Brett Okamoto. So it sounds, it looks to me like ESPN standing right by PFL as well, hoping they grow. I think they deserve it. You know, it's a fun format. The fights have been pretty. You know what? Honestly, like, oh man, it's, it reminds me of early Bellator. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Bjorn Rebney, where. Somehow, just the matchmaking, or I don't know what it is, um, you know, the talent that they they pick for this, but I've really, really enjoyed it. Like, there's rarely a card that I tune in where I go, ah, this sucks. I would agree. The point system is something that's fun to monitor, especially like the last week when they're kind of watching the scoreboard. So they're watching, you know, from the locker room to see what they need to do. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. said, hey, I kind of was watching these other guys perform. You know, the uh, Akhmedov, when he scored his knockdown, that was six points. So Antonio Carlos Jr. knew, hey, these guys aren't messing around. You know, I got to get out there and do something. 
Now that said, Antonio Carlos Jr. He just was he got hit early on, you know, in his fight. So things didn't before in 29 seconds. Put it this way: in 29 seconds, a lot of things happened, and one of them was Antonio Carlos Jr. He got smacked, you know, and then it looked like he stubbed his toe, or he said he maybe twisted his knee bad or something like that. But either way, he came back with a nice straight right, and he caught Alon Monty, put him down, and then all of a sudden got him with a really, really nice wicked uh, dart choke. I couldn't believe how much happened in 29 seconds. But the reason he did that is because he saw Corey Hendricks. You know, he got the uh, the win in round two. That's five points. Um, he saw uh, Omari Akmanov get the win in round one. That's six points. So that pressure's on, you know. And he went out there. He He said he was scoreboard watching, and he – he went out there and uh, did his thing. So congrats to Shoeface, who speaks really good English. And I'm mad he still hasn't done our show because I've put in a few requests for him. Week two is next Thursday. That'll feature feature lightweights and uh, featherweights. I know I've said that, but I want to point out something. Uh, Anthony Pettis is in um, is part of the lightweights, right? And but you you just didn't. See, you didn't see them in week one, but it doesn't mean that that uh, they're all like that. You know, like, in other words, it doesn't mean what I'm trying to say is just because you didn't see him tonight. It doesn't mean that um, he's not part of the lightweights, the, the regular season and the um, playoffs. It's just this is the way it played out. He'll be on week three. If you're wondering, he's fighting Miles Price. Um, OK, so. Any final thoughts on PFL week one of 2022 goes? Um, I think it just kind of made that statement. It reaffirmed that statement that there are no up nights. You know, you got to get your points. You got to show up and you got to try and get these finishes. Did you like that little algorithm? They kept calling it the FPO or something like that. I forget what it was where they were trying to determine arm or strikes, leg strikes, takedowns. And kind of giving you a number that looked like sort of like a basketball score, 70 to 65, you know, yeah. uh, 68 to 52 or whatever. And it was kind of giving you an idea. And it didn't always drive with Kenny and Randy's card. But did you like that? Or, you know, did you appreciate that PFL try it? Or do sometimes do they try too much rather than just keep it simple? I wouldn't say it bothered me. Last year it kind of bothered me just because it seemed like they're trying to shove it down your throat. But uh, it's okay. It's 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 useful. And what about when they give you the picks? You know, it's something the UFC has done a little bit of. But they come in and they're telling you, you know, take these three big favorites. Some of it is like, duh, you know. Um, it, it's really really chalky what they're giving you. But every once in a while, they'll, they'll kind of roll the dice a little bit. So it's kind of nice. It breaks it up. I love the gambling aspect. Don't get me wrong, but. For some people, they may be sitting there going, well, yeah, we kind of knew that one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, that that world is always weird to me because you have to be – you have to kind of put yourself out there a little bit, and you have to take some risks sometimes. And I think that when people get in those situations, they're so worried about their status and that they don't want to take the the L. So really what they do is give you a lot of chalky stuff. and. That kind of gets on my nerves a little bit. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to get to Scott Coker here in just a second, but I wanted to talk about uh, Jorge Masvidal. Hasn't really spoken much since he did the post-fight at 
what was it, UFC 272. And he had a couple interesting things to say. Still not really giving too much full respect to the striking abilities of Juan Kamaru Usman. Um, and then, you know, kind of hinting, hinting around about other topics, talking about, you know, his matchup with Ben Askren and his thoughts on Jake Paul or whatever. But I guess I want to zero in on the – oh, and he is saying he's got a real strict commitment to wrestle with Penn State. The guys over at Penn State, which is nice. He said he needed some time to reflect, but now that he's kind of put out a you know an interview, what what are your thoughts on uh, Game Bread and I guess some of the stuff he's been saying? I thought it was real interesting. I love the fact that he's not really given up on his career. You know, like even yeah. at his age, he's willing to put in that time in the wrestling department, and it's not impossible. It's not impossible to improve this late in the game at something like that. And so to see him uh, wanting to do that, I think is very, very important. You kind of wish he had done that earlier. And then at the same time, um, it was just interesting seeing his mindset. You know, I think a lot of us have tackled situations like that in our lives before. I remember Dana White, right, when they were going to sell the UFC, just locking himself away for a few days, not wanting to be around anyone. I mean, I kind of get that. And if that's his process and that's where he comes up with the solution, more power to him. But I, I really give him respect for for figuring out what's wrong in his game and doing everything possible to fix it. What about the Usman part? I mean, I don't – I think every fighter's going to say something like that, but I don't know how realistic that is. Yeah. I think he should have thought with that one through a little bit. Because Usman flat out knocked him out. It's the first time George has been knocked out. And then Usman also was able to hurt Colby Covington in ways that George couldn't. Now, granted, Colby Covington stood mostly with Usman, whereas he wrestled Jorge Masvidal. But either way, when when Usman did, I mean, he, he he's broken somebody's jaw in a title fight. He's knocked somebody out. His hands aren't ready for boxing. I'll tell Usman that to his face. Do not fight Canelo Alvarez. It's going to be a bad night for you. Uh, I'll be respectful about it, but I just, you know me, man. I always have the pom poms out for MMA, but on that one, it's like, come on. There's got to be a li- there's got to be limits to this, right? So yeah. his hands have improved. They're nice. They're heavy. Respect. Incredible career. Um. So when you're out there talking about somebody's hands, I mean, they're not supposed to be like Winky Wright, you know, defensively or like Floyd Mayweather or or like Pernell Whitaker. Or, you know what I remember? You, you know what I'm saying? They, they don't have to define the sweet science. They just have to be effective in MMA, and that's what they have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean – the proof is in the pudding. Like you said, he got knocked out by him. There, there can't be right. anything more defining than that. Yeah. If these guys weren't so sensitive, I'd be like, come on. I, I'd even say, come on, dog, and start off. Look, here's how I can respectfully explain it to George if I was ever to talk with him for five minutes. You're about to embark on a mission to clean up your wrestling. Your strength is your boxing, but you want to clean up your wrestling. And so now you you're going to go out and do it, and that's fine. But Kamar Usman came from wrestling. He needed to improve his hands, and he did. He did so 
enough to the point that it was able to acquire a title, defend his title, you know. So he, he this is somebody that's just he's ahead of you, and you know, in in terms of what he's accomplished in his career, um, there's it's impossible for George to disagree with that. You know what I mean? And like I say, respect to the guy. Um, but I think if you know how to talk to somebody and you just lay out the facts, they'll, they'll, they'll understand even the hotheads, right? I don't really consider Jorge a hothead. I think he's usually a listener. So that's why it surprised me a little bit that he would say that in that interview about, um, about Usman. I mean, that's just something that happened recently enough that there's just no way around, uh, around that. Uh, Usman deserves all the praise he's gotten. Yeah. I mean, you're actually pretty spot on there with with Jorge Masvidal like contrary to what people see he really isn't that much of a hothead you know like unless you really provoke him uh he just doesn't wake up in a bad mood for the most part he's kind of chill kind of a chill dude but if you push his buttons he's gonna fire back oh yeah yeah um and look um if this is his campaign you know let's say that quote or that tagline or that sentence is the camp the beginning of the campaign and maybe get that third fight. I get it. I get it. Sometimes fighters will just throw stuff out there uh, just to get things going because George would need to probably win at least maybe three fights, man. But let's not forget. George said something that I agree with. He said, I'm the UFC's number one draw on the active roster because Conor McGregor is kind of injured. He's on injured reserve, we'll say. He knows that that's why he has to phrase it that way. Um, Conor McGregor's a unicorn, right? That guy's ridiculous. But George Masvidal is very confident in his ability to sell a fight. He says he's in really, really good with the UFC. The UFC told him, when you're ready, give us a call. So he may be one of those guys that only needs two fights. But um, another thing he said was, Hamzat Shemaev have hasn't impressed them yet. And what I need to figure out is when did he do this interview? Because if this interview isn't exactly like two weeks old, hasn't beaten anyone yet. Well, who's Gilbert Burns? I mean, to you, because Gilbert Burns is, even though they've never locked up, um, I don't think anyone can say a bad word about Gilbert Burns. He has faced someone and he has defeated someone that matters in that division. It was, if it was done before Gilbert Burns, okay understood you know but um i don't think they would just embargo that interview for the last two weeks so yeah that that's where georgie was a little you know a little crazy talk there a little bit yeah gilbert burns you you cannot deny that as being a very good win uh for hamzat so that's a little odd but uh i mean i understand that people still want that guy to prove himself a little bit more but I think he's proven to be at least a really good fighter, but if he just improves a little bit, man, that guy would be like superstar level. If Jorge were to say, give me a list of three top level guys that he's beaten, then we'd all go, well, there's Gilbert Burns and, uh, well, Mir Sharp was ranked at one point. You know what I mean? And then I'll, well, I think Lee Jing, Jing Liang might've been right. Yeah. You know, and okay. I get it. But when you say I hasn't beaten anyone, no, he has beaten someone, Gilbert Burns. Has he done it? Has he fought as many good fighters as George to say that he's done it over time, over a period of time, 
you know, faced adversity. Some fighters aren't the same after, a, you know, one loss. Sometimes they get that second one in a row or whatever. No, he hasn't done that. But so far, whatever test has been put in front of him, he's passing him. So anyway, the weird thing is, George might be one of my favorite fighters in the whole world. And anybody that's listening to this is like, boy, you sound like you're uh, disliking the guy. No, not at all. We go actually months without even talking. And then he sends me some of the nicest DMs because we just go so far way back. Um, he he can unplug. That's one thing I'll give it up to him, man. He can unplug and just not hear from anyone, maybe aside from his parents, his managers, kids, you know, whoever. Um, and then there's other times that he's just everywhere. You know, he's hitting the like button if you post something or he'll send you a message. So it's not like that at all. It's just we have to call it fair in this sport with everyone, man. And um, he is he is a big name. Like he said, he's a big name, and that's why we're talking about him right now. He's a news nugget for this week. He's a big name. He could be even bigger. That's the thing. You know, he's got to go back. Like you said, he's got to work on that wrestling. But he has all those tools, like everything else around it. He's got it. This is probably his last chance, like his last little run here. This next next set of three fights, he can make a lot of money, I think. But he's got to win. He's got to look good. Just even things out goes. Um... Let me just say, I didn't dig too much about too much into this because I'm not an NFT guy at all. I'm not an I'm not a Bitcoin guy. I'm not an NFT guy at all. But just to switch topics here and pivot, Nate Diaz rips quote sorry ass UFC for 420 day NFT sale. So everybody knows 420, meaning April 20th, is associated with 420 p.m. You know that's a big time of the day for pot smokers. So that's the connection there. And and the UFC apparently, you know, now involved in the NFT world. Um, He's mad that the UFC is profiting off him and his brother, Nick. Now, I I just don't care too much, honestly, because as much as I'm pro fighter, here's the thing that bothers me goes, they don't do anything different than you and I and anyone that listens to the show does. We get offered an offer to work. We look it over. We might have a little bit of pushback or leverage. And when we do, we hopefully maximize it, get a raise or a promotion or something like that. But in the end, if you really have no other options and the the other side isn't willing to move, then you just realize, okay, this is my number. Where do I sign? You know, nobody forces you to sign. And so it's no different from, I guess, the stuff I go through every day. I have to believe that was covered in perpetuity usually is what is some of the language at the right. And so that kind of means forever, you know, that you're once you sign away your likeness, that's basically, um, you know, the UFC can kind of make money off you like in the video game or apparel sales, or, or I guess now in the NFT world. So when the fighters kind of do this, I just feel like, Aside from putting down their employer, the UFC or whoever, they're also kind of saying, boy, was I dumb back in the day, you know, because I know I feel dumb about some of the times where I felt like I could have done something. I just didn't do my enough vetting or research or whatever. And I can be as pissed as I want to be goes. But if I look at myself in the mirror, I just go, you're a fucking moron because I made the decisions. I made the decisions that may have hindered me or whatever. And I don't understand why. 
fighters sometimes sometimes feel like they can skirt around this skirt around that like it's always or like it's never their mistake you know that kind of ticks me off well you got to remember john fitch and kane velasquez they kind of fought randy couture they fought for things like this against the ufc came up short i think didn't Kane and, and John Fitch get cut for like a day or something like that? It had to do it with the video over. game, right? Huh? It had to do with the video game, right? Had to do the with their game. likeness. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, that that's something that they fought for. And maybe rather than everybody jumping on there and having their back at the moment, that might have been one of those things where fighters just go, Hey, you know, that that ain't me or whatever. But now look what's happening, right? Right. So you, you can't really complain about it. I mean, you signed something up when there was the opportunity to fight for it. You didn't fight for it. This is what happens. One last thing I'll say is I've referenced this before, and hopefully it's not the, this exact thing. Otherwise, people think I'm Mr. Magoo. But I wish all fighters from every promotion, so I wish I could do this to Bellator or UFC and whatever. But let's just use the UFC for the for the example. I wish I could lock myself in a room, lock them up in a yard, and just like Andy Dufresne played those opera singers, those ladies, and they were all just captivated. Just give me 30 seconds, and I would tell the fighters, individually, when you go in to negotiate your contract, you have very little leverage. If five of you go in, like TJ, Kane, Cerrone, Kennedy and GSP did. You don't have much leverage, but if everyone in this yard were to not fight and stand up and walk out, you would have some leverage. They would have to bargain and at least commit something to improving, you know, your ability to to work or the benefits or uh, the compensation, I should say. And you would get somewhere. All it takes is one of those times, you know. But it takes a collective effort. Now, that said, some people in the yard are like, man, I'm from a country that we don't have unions or I can't even understand you. I don't even speak. You know, some of them might be like, wait, what's this guy saying? You know, but so I wouldn't be able to captivate them all. That's the tough thing. But that's where all of their strength lies, you know, and they just don't do it. And now we're on year 29. Now it's a damn shame. At first it was like, well, they don't know any better, man. It was just fighting and scratching and clawing and to make a living. But. Here we are. Yeah. I mean, it's a sad reality, but that's the reality we live in. Yep. All right, let's get to Scott Coker. Scott Coker's obviously got two big fight cards coming up Friday and Saturday. It's Bell Tour 278 and Bell Tour 279. They are back-to-back. Lots to discuss. We have a title fight with Velasquez and Carmouche at Bell Tour 278, along with uh, the, the fall, sorry, a, a couple of... Um, what they're called is like little fill-ins to make the Bantamweight Grand Prix to fill it out, all right? So we got a couple of fights that that um, are like qualifiers. And the reason is because Sergio Pettis uh, and James Gallagher can't continue. So we only have six fighters that are committed. On the following day, we have Cyborg and two actual fights, uh, Archuleta and Stotts, Horiguchi and Mix. So, uh, and Elimelay McFarlane is also back uh, as well, so... Check that out. Uh, Friday and Saturday, Bell Tour 278, 279. But for right now, let's bring in the CEO and the president, Big Daddy Cokes.
What is going on, Junkie Nation? Special treat for you. He's back. Big Daddy Cokes, a.k.a. Scott Coker, President and CEO of Bellator. Bellator's got a busy weekend. In fact, a five-week stretch starting with last week's Bellator 277 card, which we will recap with Scott. And, of course, the two uh, shows in Hawaii. They're going to Paris. They're, doing, they're going to London. A lot of stuff going on, Scott. You're definitely adding the air miles. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is the, the time where we have so many fighters under contract, so many great fighters under contract. We have so many great fights that we want to put together. And so the schedule just kind of rolled out like this. I mean, it's a very busy time. But you know what? I, I think the staff loves being here in Hawaii, especially, right? They get yeah. to go to Paris. They get to go to London. You know, it's like, uh, it's like you get to see the world and put on these amazing fights. And so to me, it's been a lot of fun. But, you know, these are some serious events we had starting with last week. Uh, in San Jose, that was a crazy fight. It felt good to see San Jose, uh, you know, basically full and passionate and loud. And I'm not sure if you could hear it through the broadcast, but you know, they 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 brought their A game, man, and they were really passionate fans. And uh, you know, yelling and screaming and cheering, and it, it was nice because I mean, listen, let's face it, that's where you know MMA, as far as like you know, in my in my past, that's where it all started. Javier Mendez fought. In 26 or 28 years ago, Javier Mendez fought against a guy named Mary Piotrowski in kickboxing at the San Jose Arena. We opened it up in 1994 on August uh, and on April 15th. So that was the anniversary. And then how many great fights, and you guys have been around. It's like, hey, how many great fights have we done? That not, not just the first event in the history of, of uh, California. We did the first MMA fight with Frank and Gracie. Uh, but you talk about Fedor versus uh, Fabrice Verdum, the iconic oh. fight. Uh, of uh, Cyborg versus Carano. And right. then thinking about the trilogy of uh, Thompson versus Melendez. I mean, what a Oof. great trilogy that was. Oh, amazing. And then Frank versus Kung. You could you could not hear yourself in that stadium on that day. I think we have 15,000, 16,000 people. So to me, it's, you know, that that to me is like uh, the, the like a history of MMA, a lot of the great fights in the in the in our and especially my past have happened in that building so to have the aj fight against pitbull in that building uh i thought it was gonna be iconic and i and i think that this one will 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 you know will go down in the history books to the next fight which i hope happens one day before the end of the year or next year, early next year at some point because i do believe that uh if we can work out the weight thing with aj trying you know to i know he wants to move up I'd, I'd love to run that one back because i think that fight deserves to have a trilogy well, do you think it's worthy of an immediate trilogy, or do you understand him maybe wanting to do the route of the brother and then maybe join uh, the younger brother up? Or like, are you feeling any of that, or are you like immediate at forty-five? Well, I think that um, you know, it's really going to be up to AJ because he's the fighter. But when um, you know, he's told me he wants to go up and wait, uh, but maybe he might want to stay at forty-five to run it back with Pitbull. So we just haven't had a real conversation about that because the you know, fight was on Friday and a Sunday I came straight here. So yeah. I, haven't, I haven't had a chance to talk to him or his dad. But if he wants to do it, we definitely will not say no because we think that they, they should run that fight back. Now, listen, there's a lot of other fighters in the weight division that deserve to be in there as well. So, you know, depending on what AJ wants to do, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, we have some big fights in that division uh, for Pitbull. I think that um, – you know, when Adam Borix uh, was somebody that put on a great fight against Matt Spurnell, uh about a month ago, 
I think he definitely deserves to be in that in that mix. I think that you got you guys started mentioning Aaron Pico's name in that mix because yeah. he had you know he's been on a great run. Uh, so uh, we'll see what happens. But um, you know, there's nothing final uh, final about any of it. But um, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, we can put some great fights together here uh, within the next four or five months. Can you explain to me possibly because this is what you'll hear from fans and media? McKee's stock dropped. But I believe McKee's stock also went up because now a rivalry potential, you know, epic trilogy has been created. And, of course, he can go up uh, in weight. You know, I, I know obviously staying undefeated is, is super important. But at the same time, when two fighters can collide like that and you can get two, three fights out of them. We just mentioned Melendez and Thompson. To me, that would strike me as stock also can go up in in that instance when it's a great fight there's no losers yep yep you're right and i think that this is the same uh same case because you know now they're one and one and now they have a big trilogy fight there's gonna be a ton of interest everybody's gonna want to watch it and uh i do believe you're right it'll, it'll elevate their stock elevate their brand uh moving forward turning the page this week you have two shows in hawaii and i you know there's title fights i love it but I'm a Grand Prix guy. We were talking pride earlier before we started the interview. And, of course, you know, we saw a lot of Grand Prix um, in that promotion. Now this one, you're down with the 135-pounders, the Bantamweights. And I wanted to ask you, um, can you talk about Horiaguchi? Um, what a star this guy is and could even become. No disrespect to Patrick, Patrick Mix. We're not making a prediction here or anything or even the other twosome of Archuleta and Stotts, but uh, I imagine that that Horiaguchi has a little bit of that appeal that where he can blow up and he can reach that uh, Pitbull and McKee level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, here's a kid that um, when he was fighting out his UFC contract and he was a free agent, uh, I went to try to sign him uh, in Bellator uh, years ago. Uh, and um, he said, look, I, I appreciate the offer. Thank you. I, I respect everything, but uh, it's nothing personal. It's nothing against the company, but I need to go back and I need to help Japanese MMA, and that's what he did. Wow! He went back and he said, "I'm gonna," and it wasn't about money because we started talking about money, and then you know, money started going up. Uh, but in his mind, he was like, mm, "No, thank you," because it's not about the money. I need to go help rebuild uh, Japan because Japan is hurting right now, and so he was fighting for his country and fighting for the cause. Uh, which you know, I just I just had no answers for because you know I I only had single fights for him against you know ranked opponents or for a title, but you know he was fighting to to rebuild um, martial arts back into uh, his his country. So you know then that expired, and I think he did a great job because now if you look at uh, what Sakibara has done with um, Ryzen compared to where it was three, four years ago before Horiguchi got there, he was really the one of the main stars that helped build that uh, program for uh, for him, I mean, for Saki Bar for the last four or five years. Um, but now that he's free and he's able to fight for us, it really excited because I love his style. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, he's unorthodox, he moves a lot, he, he does a lot of things that are off angle, not so much just straightforward, uh, trying to punch and throw bombs. And he can hit you from any angle. He's fast. He's elusive. Um, 
I've, I've seen him come off cartwheels and punch people in the face. I mean, it's just the stuff that he does is just bizarre. Uh, he did get caught against Pettis. Got to give it to Pettis. That was a technique he was planning on throwing, and he hit him, caught him. Uh, and now we have the big tournament. So this tournament on Friday night, uh, free for the military and the first responders here in Hawaii, you're going to see an opportunity for the wild card fighters. And then uh, whoever wins these fights will get to fight in the real tournament on June 24th at the Mohegan Sun. <coughs> and then you have Stotts against Archuleta, our former champ. Those guys have been John back and forth at it a little bit. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens and who's going to step up. And then, uh, you know, with Mix versus Horiguchi, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really really good fight. I'm really looking forward to it. I think that uh, that uh, the urgency of having these tournaments uh, is something that I think people love because if you win, you go forward and you continue fighting, and eventually, if you win the whole thing, you will get a million dollar prize money on top of your normal purses. Uh, and if you lose, then you go back to kind of square one and starting to work your way back up. Uh, and the nice thing of this tournament is. Because Pettis isn't in the tournament and he got injured and he's going to be out for, you know, let's say a year, we're going to do this tournament and try to finish by December or January. And then the winner of the belt uh, for the Benway Championship uh, tournament will eventually fight Pettis. So Pettis is going to sit there in the wings uh, and get healthy, get back to fighting uh, probably by end of the year. And their first opponent will be the tournament champ. So, uh, a lot of great, great fights ahead uh, for this division. Scott, I apologize. I should have done my homework for this, but when you pointed out that, I mean, I knew Pettis was out, but thinking back, usually the champ defends along the way. Um, was Is there any consideration for making these three-round fights? Or are they staying at five? What, what, what are you guys going forward with the tournament now? Oh, it's going to be uh, five-round fights. Five-round uh, fights, okay. Yeah, it's going to be five-round fights, and, um, you know, we're uh, we're going to – we're gonna, Continue the five round fights, and one of the things about the uh, the the five round fights is uh, when when these guys actually the fights that are happening on Friday with the uh, with the wild cards, um, I believe those are three round fights. So those will be yeah the fight with Barzola uh, against uh, Nikita Nikita is it Nikita Nikita yeah Nikita yeah. They, that will be a three round fight. But the fights on Saturday will all be uh five round fights so okay. we're gonna keep it the way it is scott when you look at the big board when one of these grand prix starts and you look at all the names it, there's really nothing like this in, in our sport and even in other sports the closest thing i think it comes to is maybe march madness because just anything can really happen in a grand prix but without telling us who or anything like that but when you kind of look at it and have your idea of what you feel like you're almost filling out your own bracket how close do you ever get? Is there one tournament that stands out that just completely shocked you and 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 uh, and compared to what you actually thought would play out? Boy, that's a good question. I mean, you know, when we did the first tournament uh, for Bellator, uh, it was the uh, the heavyweight tournament, and um, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect, but you know, uh, when Bader. Bader fought uh, Fedor in the finals. You know, he clipped him and, and knocked him off, finished him. I thought that that was uh, that was a little bit. I thought I thought Fedor would would have a better chance on striking against Bader than than he, than he did. And so, uh, I think that was a little bit of a upset in my opinion. Uh, but you know, when I think about um, 
you know, the, the one, uh, 70 pound, uh, tournament. Uh, you know, I think that, um, that was, man, you talk about, talk about just the names in that tournament. You had Lima, you had Daly, you had MVP and, uh, you know, you had just a bunch, a bunch of killers in, in this, uh, in this tournament. And, and, um, you know, now that we're at the Bantamweights, this might be the deepest roster of fighters we've had in, in one division. Uh, when I think about the, um, the, the tournament at the one, uh, the 135 pound weight class. So even though we've had injuries, we've been able to replace them with these, let's see, wild card fights. And like you said, it makes it interesting and they can continue and go in. But, um, you know, the tournaments had so many, uh, amazing, you know, um, finishes or some amazing upsets, some amazing fights, um, that you, you just never know. Like you never know uh, what's going to happen. I mean, when I think about Lima knocking out MVP the very first time, I think that surprised a lot of people too. It was, you know, the way he went down, I was like, Whoa, this is, this is, this is nuts. And it, it's, it's just, you know, in MMA, you don't, you don't know, but with the tournament, because there's such a finale to it. If you're out, uh, that's that, that takes the stakes up a whole nother level. Scott, moving on to Chris Cyborg. That's somebody that I wanted to talk about because we kind of analyzed this a little bit earlier in the day. And I wanted to ask you, do you feel like now with Amanda Nunes suffering a loss, all the Kayla Harrison talk, do you think Chris will come in maybe with a little bit of a tip on her shoulder and be even more aggressive to really cement her place here in history in this fight? Yeah, I mean, I think so, but I can tell you how I feel about it. Look, she's already done all the work. And, uh, you know, people talk about Kayla Harrison now, but Chris Cyborg has been doing this since 2008. She fought for me in 2008, uh, I think a couple times. And nine, she she fought Gina Carano in 2009. So think about how long ago that was, right? And she had the upset loss to uh, Amanda Nunez. But when you look at the entire body of work for the last, you know, 15 years, no one has done more, you know, than she has. And, uh, you know, maybe Kayla one day will be great. And I think she will be. But, you know, talk to me in 10 years is what I have to say about, about that because – you know, until, you know, they, they started fighting and winning and, and, and creating their own legacy. To me, nobody has done more for female mixed martial arts and have been more successful in female MMA than Chris Cyborg. Scott, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We definitely look forward to this weekend. We got Bellator's back-to-back on Friday and Saturday. We got Velasquez defending her title, Cyborg. We got the, the Grand Prix. And then, of course, I know you guys have for London and Paris. And one thing I'm excited about with Paris is the fact that you brought in Bader and Congo. Right from that night, I was already pumped up, and that pays off here in a few weeks. So thanks for doing that. Hopefully you guys do more of that. Um, thank you, as always, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, I have one thing I want to say is um, in Paris, we have a big semi-man event between Melvin Manoff fighting Yo Romero. Uh, and I just want to let everybody know that um, this will be Melvin Manoff's last fight. He is going to take the gloves off after this fight. Oh, wow. so he's, going to he's going to fight as hard as he can, and the gloves are going to come off, and he's going to walk away. And he's done everything in this sport, man. I met him in 2000. He was fighting for K1 in 2000. So maybe 2005 or something for, but he's been around a long time and um, I'm excited to, to see his last fight uh, live. Uh, but win, lose or draw, he said, this is it. So if you want to see him come to the Versity arena uh, in May in, in Paris and come watch Melvin fight his last fight. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. 
And okay. again, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you. Well, that was interesting because aside from covering what we were going to covering, how about the little tidbit there with Melvin Manhoff is going to wrap up a career um, when they go to France in a few weeks. You know, he's he, I agree with Scott. He always comes to fight. But every time he's taking one of those vicious KOs, I'm like, oh, Melvin, you've done so much in combat sports. Enough's enough, especially when he's fought at light heavyweight for crying out loud. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be sad to see him go. Isn't it him and Joe Schilling one time where we were inside of the arena, but like in the guts of the arena? San and Diego. we could hear how massive those strikes were. Where everybody was like, what the fuck is that? What is that? And we figured out it was them hitting each other. Mm-hmm. It, was in, it was in San Diego. I'm not sure what belt or card it was. Uh, I think one of the fights was uh, Michael Chandler and Will Brooks. Um, yeah. And it was probably about a good eight to ten years ago. But, yeah, man, that guy's been around been doing this for a minute i'm glad he's gonna wrap things up it was bellator 131 and he lost that one joe Schilling uh beat him but yeah you could hear all the cracking from them just lending you know thud kicks to the thighs and the ribs and the punches um it was really really a fun time you want the exact date it was november 15th of 2014 headline bout tito ortiz and stefan bonner i was right Will Brooks versus Michael Chandler, and then Joe Schilling versus Melvin Manhoff was on the uh, was the uh, feature bout. Mm-hmm. Joe Sh- um, Melvin Manhoff's going to retire at age forty five. Goes wow. Well, no, mm-hmm. he his birthday is May eleventh, and I know this this fight card is going to take place on um, Bellator two eighty versus Yoel Romero on May sixth. So he'll be just shy of 46 when he lays down the gloves. But um, that's crazy, man. Uh, I'm glad that he's calling it a career. Yo Romero's a beast, by the way. And I'm telling you, this guy competed at welterweight. His last two fights will be against legitimate light heavyweights. You got Corey Anderson, who's in the finals of the Grand Prix, against Vadim Nemkov, who was a top 10 UFC fighter for a long time. And then you got... Yo Romero, a former Strike Force um, light heavyweight champion, he competed in the UFC's middleweight and light heavyweight division. So he's finishing off with two absolute beasts. Yeah. 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 And again, let me repeat something that Scott said for Friday Night Show. If you're a first responder or military in Hawaii, they're in Oahu. Well, I, I imagine any of those islands you could just kind of head, head on over, but um, you get in for free. So ambulance firefighters um police anybody that's a frontline worker or or a first responder you're in same with the military so make sure you take advantage of that because it's going to be a a great night of fights and you get to see a world title fight so that's friday night bellator 278 check it out um you know one thing i keep forgetting to ask big daddy cokes goes so they're going to London and they're going to Paris. Are they still going to revisit Rome, Italy, and the Colosseum? We just ran out of time. Uh, yeah, that's right. Remember that one? I think you and yeah. I said, if that happens, we got to go. Yeah, if they can make that happen, I think that's one I would push for, for sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. But we always seem to run out of time because some 
sometimes we're just told, hey, look, 15 minutes and that's it. So they got a lot of uh, interviews and a lot of promoting to do. Anyhow, anyway, folks, all right, we're going to get on out of here. Thank you so much, as always, for your support. I hope some of you do check out the spinning backlick. That's a video franchise that was launched a couple years ago now. And I was answering some comments in YouTube and people were like, hey, more of these. You guys should do more of these, you know, and I didn't want to pop off. Sometimes I pop off to some of the YouTubers. Some of their some of them are little prats, you know, but uh, some people just aren't aware. So you have to tell them constantly. We basically talk about five different topics, some of the most happening topics of the week, but we do it every week. We haven't missed a week, you know, in about two and a half years. Check it out at youtube.com forward slash MMA junkie video. I think you'll really, really like it. And it's myself and goes along with two of our colleagues. It could be Mike Bond, Danny Segura, Nolan King, Matt Wells, Fada Hanun has jumped in and done it before. Dan Tom's done a couple. Probably need to bring him back as well. Um, and it's really, really a blast. Hopefully, I didn't leave anyone out, but um check it out and and that's where you can also see the full and extended interviews that you don't get to see when we just do a recap and video highlights those are usually tight pieces that are on mma junkie but if you want to see the extended interviews go to youtube.com forward slash mma junkie video all right it goes one last thing you're no longer sick huh i think you're finally over it are you 100 finally hell no you know what i did figure out though I need sound, to clean sound a lot better than these last few weeks, man. People have been telling me that. Is that dude alive? In the mornings, I, I'm kind of rough when I first wake up. Then I'm pretty good. But I think the ceiling fan, I need to clean my ceiling fan. That's been jacking me up. Oh, really? Yeah. So, because uh, I don't know why. Like, right when it, when it's time to go to bed, I'm, I'm kind of like this. And then in the morning when I wake up, I'm like this. But... But hey, way, way better than what it was. Way better. How's Yogi? Yogi had his second walk in a row. Is he feeling it a little bit? Or is he... Uh, I guess it seems to have endless energy. But I was wondering if maybe after two two nights in a row, he's like, all right, all right. I feel you guys. Nah, he still had some energy. I mean, there's yeah. a difference. But yeah, he, he still had a lot of energy. Maybe we need to send him to school. Or maybe I need to introduce him to the five-mile walk or something. I need to send him maybe tomorrow. Really? Uh, yeah, he usually comes back pretty exhausted from that. Anyway, all right, folks. This time we're really out of here. Really, really. We appreciate all your support for these past 15 years, and we're going to continue hustling along. I can't give you any exact news, but I really expect that we'll be having another watch along on May 7th. So tune in for that. And uh, that's it. We'll see you all on Monday. We'll recap one championship. Two Bellator cards and then the UFC's card with uh, Lemos versus Andrade. 13 other bouts they have. We'll do that all Sunday night, Monday morning. All right. Go out there and be a champion. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>